podcast for giftware and specialty food artisans who want to work smarter, earn more, and live better. Hosted by Stefano Mantis. Hi, everybody. It's Stefano Mantis here, and welcome to Artisans Who Wholesale. Uh, if this is your first time listening, thanks for coming on board. And this podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. And show notes are found at artisanswholesale.com. So today we have a special guest. I'm really excited to have Noah on. Uh, Noah Monroe is a food business consultant and founder of Taste Profit Consulting, LLC in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He provides food business owners and managers with entrepreneurial coaching and execution support. He's got a team of specialists to help provide support on growth strategy, marketing and PR, e-commerce and accounting. And he's also the co-founder of the Mill Fudge Factory in Bristol, New Hampshire, and has earned an MBA from Babson College focusing on entrepreneurship. So today, welcome, Noah. Thank you. It's great to be here. Terrific. And today we are, uh, we know you have a special expertise around pricing and entrepreneurial uh, efforts and growing, uh, uh, growing uh, food businesses. So if you could start with, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I um, got my start in the food industry, I suppose you could say, in uh, about 2006 when I started uh, the Mill Fudge Factory up in Bristol with with my, uh, as I affectionately call them, my folks, um, my my father and stepmother, and uh, we they put in all the money and I put in a ton of free time and I just finished school and wasn't really sure what to do and I thought, well, I could figure out how to manage a business and. It was uh, started as an ice cream shop, and then we we had a fudge recipe from my grandfather. We were going to do a fudge business, and my stepmother wanted to do a music venue as well, for because it's the oldest building in Bristol, and we really wanted to to build a community center business, uh, but we wanted to make sure it was going to work too and be around for the long term. And so that's that's uh, uh there's more of that story I can share, but but that's where I kind of got started with. Being uh, in you know in the food business, uh, and then and then about seven years into that, I realized I needed to learn more about it, so I went back to school and and studied you know what business schools teach, and then learned to learn some good stuff there, and then and part of what I learned there is that you know I I wanted to kind of branch out and and start my own business and working with other entrepreneurs and helping them grow their businesses, and and that's what I've been doing the last couple of years, and it's been a ton of fun. So tell me, uh, you know, every, uh, I grew up in a family business and I, and I'm in one right now. Um, I know that that, uh, that has its own special challenges. Uh, tell me about some issues and challenges that, um, that your family business encountered. Well, it was, uh, it definitely a rough road on along the way. I mean, we, the three of us had very little experience in the food industry or in retail and, you know, my, my business partners had had, they've had some of the, uh, their own businesses, but we were basically unprepared for what we were getting into. And, and, uh, and, and, and yet we, you know, we've, it still, it still stands today and, um, it's making money and it's, it's working. And, and so it's, but it's definitely been a bumpy road. Um, one of the biggest kind of very real challenges we faced was, uh, when we were, our, our neighboring, uh, built, there was a, a our neighbor was like a four-story abandoned factory, and it was deemed dangerous for us to be next to it. Uh-huh. So, so we were forced to evacuate from our own facility for eight months. Oh my goodness! And so that was like a very real challenge. We had 
you know, we had to overcome. And, and so we luckily there was a commercial kitchen on the other side of our building. And so we temporarily moved in there and kept the fudge business going and focused on wholesale and e-commerce and the fundraising program basically held on until we could go back into our building. So that, you know, that was just kind of one very yeah. momentous challenge that we, we had to deal with. Uh, but there were tons of, tons of challenges around, you know, working together as family mm-hmm. and trying to figure out the, uh, how to be business partners as, as well as family members and mm-hmm. kind of where that line is. Um, that, that office often raises, you know, is, is challenging for any family business, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And then obviously just all the normal challenges of starting and growing a business and trying to figure out what, you know, what you're going to focus on and how you're going to sell your products and how you're going to price them and what the brand's going to look like. And, and then ultimately, and one of the biggest challenges is, is around staffing and, you know, employees and, mm-hmm. and finding and, you know, recruiting, training, managing, firing. That's never fun. You know, there's just, <laughs> So many challenges that, that any business owner who you know listening to this would probably yeah. also share. You know, so yeah, that that gives us a flavor for it. It definitely uh, has its own special challenges, and it's really hard to figure out uh, the roles and the vision and and of, of each person and and keep that in a in a whole good place. So um, let's move over to one of your core expertise areas, and that's on setting price strategies. Can you talk through a couple different strategies for businesses in different stages, uh, businesses that might be uh, have a range of goals? First of all, I think I'll just say that I think a, a lot of businesses make the mistake of, of using the pricing methodology known as like cost-based pricing, where they figure, okay, this, this costs me, you know, $5, for example, I'm going to double my costs or, or, you know, add that, that kind of markup and, and charge uh, $10 or mm-hmm. for, for example. And, and I think that's a mistake because the market doesn't really care what your costs are. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's the market cares about what's the value of the product or service that you're providing. Right. Mm-hmm. So if the other method of pricing that I've come to believe is, is, a usually is a better one, a market-based pricing, which which often people will do as well, but they tend to do it very quickly. They just you know, well, let's look at what three or four other competitors are charging, and we're going to be a little bit less, or we're going to be the average of them. I think that's the right kind of instinct, but doing that carefully is is really important. I think mm-hmm. so. And what 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 does it mean to do it carefully? Well, I think it means. First of all, really clearly defining who your competitors are. So, and some people say, well, I have no competitors. We're making a one of a kind product. Well, that's fine from your perspective, but do the cus, if your customers don't buy your product, what are they going to buy instead? Mm-hmm. Right? What is the closest thing to your product? That's a great question. And yeah, so if you're an artisan making a, you know, let's just say a jewelry product, then it's like, well, well, who do you respect as peers, the equal quality of of work, and and what are what are their prices? What are the prices for a one particular product? So let's just say like a set of earrings. Or I'm in the food business, so I'm I'm not going to talk more about jewelry, but you know, like for for one. Um, one jar of of jam or jelly, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, that, like finding comparable products to yours and then really making sure you're looking at apples to apples. So it's not just like the price point on the shelf, but what is the price per ounce mm -hmm. of that jam and jelly, right? So yeah. you're really comparing apples. Even though consumers don't do that math, that's a way to really kind of even the playing field and see what what is the market valuing my type of product. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's that's going to give you some one data point, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, well, what where's the market? What's the market look like? And then, you know, then the question is, well, what's your pricing strategy? Do you want to be the most expensive in the market? Mm -hmm. That may be your strategy. You may, because remember, price is an indicator of quality, right? Mm -hmm. So someone may perceive a $10 jar of jam or jelly as literally better quality than an $8 or a $5 jar of jam or jelly. How true. Yeah. So, you know, having a higher price can actually sometimes be a better strategy or maybe you want to. So, so I think pricing strategy has to flow from your overall business strategy and your your positioning as a brand. Do you want to be competing on price and try to be the cheapest? Are you trying to be the most convenient or the most the highest quality? A lot of my clients and I imagine a lot of the people that uh, you you work with are, are making really high quality handcrafted unique products and it's really hard to compete on price it couldn't compete against some of the big players in the you know the national market mm -hmm. and so so you've you've got to find a way to to tell a story about your brand and and back up a higher price point mm -hmm. uh and 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 then ultimately you know what it's one thing to know the competitive price but and set your price in relation to that that market but you you obviously want to make sure you're going to make money at that price yeah, too. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not saying ignore your costs. Mm -hmm. That obviously should be part of it. Should be a data point that you are considering as well mm -hmm. when you're when you're trying to set pricing or assess your pricing to maybe make revisions to it. Uh, but it, it's just just cost based pricing is is too focused on your own business and not focused on the broader context of the broader market. Could you um, could you summarize, Noah, for somebody going through uh, trying to figure out the right pricing strategy? Can you walk us through the steps that they would need to take? Sure. So I think that if if I um, I would suggest creating a very simple spreadsheet, having tabs along the bottom for each of your products that you want us. Just look at the pricing of, or if you have like, if you have tons of products then maybe the top 10 products mm -hmm. just for, to start with. And, and then for each product on each tab of that spreadsheet, make a list of your top five competitors mm -hmm. that are the closest to you. And also keep in mind the geography. Yeah. You know what I mean? If someone, you, you want to, wherever you're going to be selling, that's also the, the you want to look at who else is selling in that same market because obviously prices range from you know they tend to be more expensive in California than in the Midwest maybe sure. or, you know whatever yeah, yeah. Right? so so make a list of those five competitors and then go out and find the pricing that those five competitors are selling or what they're selling at and and look at the the retail pricing what is the what is the the end consumer valuing that product at? Mm -hmm. Right. So so think about that. You may be wholesaling a product to a to a retailer or to a restaurant 
who's going to, you know, for obviously a lower price, but ultimately you want to think about it from that retailer's perspective. What are they going to be selling it for? Mm -hmm. Because that's really what your product's worth in the eyes of the consumer market. Mm -hmm. And so, so, okay. So once you have those five competitors, you put in their prices Mm -hmm. and make sure it's per pound or per ounce or per set of earrings or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. So you level, you make that level. Yeah. And then if you can do some basic, uh, Excel work, make a little bar graph of that, mm-hmm. of those prices. Or, or if anyone wants to contact me, I'm happy to send them. I have this little tool. I can just send you a template for this. Awesome. So, you know, no, no charge or whatever. Just, just okay. cause it's a useful tool. Uh, maybe I even can share it with you and you can put it on your sure. talk notes. Yeah. I'll definitely well, share it with our audience. It's really simple, but it basically automatically will graph those price points. So then, and then you obviously want to add yours at the bottom of that list of five. Mm-hmm. So your current price or the price you're considering. And then that will graph the, it will show you visually where you are in relation to the market. Mm-hmm. And it will also show you the average and kind of where you are in relation to the average. So if you're like, oh, I'm 10% above average or I'm 10% below mm-hmm. or I'm right on point, you know, and then, and I'm not saying you should be above or below or, or average. I can't. Say that, right? That depends it's just on information. what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's just helpful to kind of know where you stand mm-hmm. and, and maybe try to be consistent. If you're always going to be, you know, average price of the market, you probably want to always be average price of the market for all your products, mm-hmm. not be like way more expensive on some and way less on others. Sure. Right. So yeah. that, that gives you the data you need to start thinking about making price changes. And then you can see, well, what happens if I change this price now? Where am I going to be in relation to the market? Mm-hmm. Terrific. Uh, so that's that's all part of it. And then the other part is the wholesale and figuring about what kind of margins are they going to want. Mm-hmm. They meaning the retailers or the 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 part the the retail you know, the wholesale partners. And can you still make a margin that's good enough for your business? Yeah. yeah, and ultimately if you're considering building your business and growing your business through wholesale distribution, then yeah, you need to you need to figure out. Well, okay, let's say a, a retailer wants forty percent mm-hmm. of the retail price. Uh, at the Fudge Factory, we we tried to get thirty seven, thirty eight percent, but you know s- some retailers won't. Well, obviously, sure. they they demand fifty percent or more, yeah. right? So you do what you can, but mm-hmm. but you create a little simple little calculation or model that, so you can see. Well, all right, if they take forty percent. And a 40% of the MSRP, right, mm-hmm. of the suggested retail price, then that means I'm, so let's just use $10. Let's say we have a product that we think we could sell in the market for $10. Then obviously the MSRP is $10. Mm-hmm. And my wholesale price, if I think the retailer is going to demand 40% for my type of product, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a question you could find out through some research, mm-hmm. some industry research. Literally calling some retailers and saying, "Hey, what kind of margin do you look for?" And yeah. with this type of product, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then then you would be wholesaling it to them for six dollars, mm-hmm. right? So so then the question is, well, what's if if that's what you the, you can get in the market and you can wholesale for six dollars? What does that product cost you? Mm-hmm. If that pro if that product costs you five dollars, it's gonna be really hard to build a business yeah. on that. Yeah. Or at least it's going to be really hard to make wholesale a successful avenue for growing your business. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if it costs you $3 and you're, you're doubling your money, then your gross margins are 50%, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going from three to six. Then that's probably 
you know, more promising in terms of a wholesale model, but maybe you want to get, maybe you want to involve a distributor. Well, that's a whole nother layer of the distribution. So you may, you may want to try to get your cost down to a dollar fifty so that mm-hmm. you can sell it to a distributor for three and they sell it to wholesaler for six. And, you know, I'm not sure the exact margins that each of these players will need, probably not 50%, mm-hmm. but. You get the idea. Sure, sure. No, that's great advice, Noah. Thank. Um, what do you see as common mistakes among the businesses you've consulted with? Broadly speaking, I, I have a few a few thoughts, but but in terms of you mean in terms of the wholesale and the the pricing kind of side of things. I think overall, what do you see? Overall? Yeah, when when somebody comes to you, what what are usually the points that they're struggling with? Well, it it really varies. I mean, depending on the the type of business and. And who, who the entrepreneur is and, you know, where they're at, their challenges are, you know, very diverse, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, but I think overall, one of the areas that I see as kind of a common mistake, if you will, is just not being focused enough on the core business mm-hmm. and not defining clearly enough what that core business is. And, and so, you know, it's so easy for entrepreneurs to get excited about the next exciting thing or the next shiny opportunity. And, and they, and which is great because it's an opportunity, mm-hmm. but you can get spread too thin and then not do anything really well. So I just heard recently, uh, on another podcast, I'll mention later if you want, but it, it's, uh, they said, you know, you, you have to say no to lots of good things in order to say yes to some of the great things. Yeah. And, you know, something along those lines. And I, I think that's very powerful. So just, mm-hmm. just finding your focus and really making sure that that core business is, is viable. No, that's, uh, beyond, that's good Warren yeah, Buffett cool. advice. <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, so you can say yes to the right thing. And then I think the other thing just in broad terms is especially for smaller businesses that it may not have a bookkeeper, an accountant, or some of the financial comfort that, that businesses really ought to have in their team. You know, is they, they, they will be just, they'll just go for it. They'll just go for it because they love baking or they love making the product or whatever it is or farming. You know, they love to farm, but, but they're not thinking about the financials or they're just thinking about the financials from the perspective of taxes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need to keep track of my financials so I can submit my taxes. Well, that's one purpose of financials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue not as, you know, yeah, you need to do that, but, it's not the main purpose of financials, sure. right? Yeah. So, so I think the common mistake is to just just to ignore financials until the end of the year. Mm-hmm. When, when I think that if you look at successful companies and they're they're looking at their financials every month or every week, mm-hmm. and they're trying to they're using them as a dashboard to help make decisions and help understand what's working and what's not working, and and wh- what do we need to tweak? What are the gross margins on our different product lines? This month, mm-hmm. setting up your accounting system so that you can actually monitor those, those types of things is, is a lot of what I end up helping people with mm-hmm. just because it's, it's not, it's not necessarily obvious or clear mm-hmm. on how to do that, you know, yeah. with QuickBooks or whatever accounting software people are using. Sure. That's super valuable. And then at that point, it allows you to make the adjustments before you realize, Oh my gosh, I am actually losing money on 
you know, every sale that I'm making and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, when you factor in whether labor costs or shipping or, you know, some of those, uh, those things that can really chew the, uh, chew the edges of, of your margins. So, um, exactly. That's my father-in-law's favorite joke, by the way. I lose money on every sale, but we make it up in volume. <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, unfortunately is truer for, uh, for more than you, uh, more than, than you might hope. Well, a lot of people think that it's like they're, they're building some, something for the long term. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if your margins aren't there, it's going to be really hard to exist in the long run. Yeah. Like you, you've got to make sure that you're protecting your business, mm-hmm. especially for like value centered businesses mm-hmm. or mission driven businesses that are trying to, they're, they're in business not just to make money. Yeah. They're trying to do something else. It's like, well, that, that's, admirable and i i love that i mean my background is environmental policy Mm -hmm. like that's i you know i believe business actually can be a very positive thing Mm -hmm. in the world but if you don't make sure that your business is is solid and in order you won't it's not going to be sustainable so you won't be able to keep delivering that mission or or whatever your goal is for the community or economic development or whatever so true so true um what's the biggest lesson you've learned in running your own business I think one of, I'm not sure if it's the biggest lesson, but one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that you need a team mm-hmm. of, to, to, to grow a business. You, you cannot do it alone. And that team can take many forms. That can be family or friends. It can be employees. It can be consultants. It can be advisory board. Mm-hmm. And I think that last one is what I want to focus on for a second is that I, I've, I've, I've learned the importance of, of an advisory board mm-hmm. and uh, because advisory board can help you steer your ship. Can you tell and, our listeners what an advisory board is for those that aren't familiar with the term? So advisory board is, is different than a board of directors where, so they don't have any legal fiduciary duties to your organization. And it, it's basically a, a network of, of, three to five people I would suggest who care about you, who care about what you're trying to do and have some kind of expertise in certain areas that are going to be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And and they're really an advisory board to the entrepreneur. And, and the, the idea is you pull them together once one to two times a year and bring, you know, share your financials with them so they can see the numbers <laughs> and share an agenda. Uh-huh. This is what, these are my questions. This is what I'm struggling with. And they help you That's- for free. By the way, if you, if you pull them together, they, and, and make sure there's food involved, <laughs> <laughs> they will help you for free. And, and it, 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 as long as, um, and the, the, the key point I think is that the, the ROI for that advisory board, both for you and the return on investment for you and in putting in the effort to build the advisory board, mm-hmm. as well as the return on investment for them to put in the time to be part of the advisory board is in the relationship between the advisors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that just by being together on the advisory board, they get exposure to other interesting people mm-hmm. that's valuable to them and interesting to them. And that's also where you get the most value because they talk to each other and they feed off each other's ideas and they mm-hmm. help, it, it helps steer your ship. You don't have to listen to everything they're doing. Yeah. It's your ship, but, yeah. but you can take it, take it as a uh, feedback. That sounds so. really powerful. I think it can mm-hmm. be, you know, it just takes, it takes effort to, yeah. to build it and then to, 
to find the right people that to be on it yeah. and then and then to keep it going but that's that's one thing i would i would definitely encourage i think more because it, it's so hard to sometimes to see your own uh, what's the expression the see your own forest sure, for the trees or yeah. whatever you know you know you you're in it yeah. and it's hard to get that outside perspective mm-hmm. on and uh, an advisory board can can help you help help provide that. Terrific. Tell me some other of your favorite tips and resources: books, apps, uh, online podcasts. Uh, what do you recommend? Sure. Well, I'll run down a few a few things. Um, as far as other podcasts, there's one that I've recently learned about that I I've been really enjoying called Small Business Success, mm-hmm. and it's it's on smallbusinesssuccess.com. It's um. The two founders of a company called Infusionsoft, mm-hmm. they just, they just chat with entrepreneurs about their challenges growing their businesses and their stories. And it's, it's been really interesting. Uh, and then, uh, as far as books go, one of the books that was the most helpful for us in the Fudge Factory early on, and I recommend to my clients all the time is called E-Myth. Oh, sure. It's yeah. the Entrepreneurial Myth by Michael Gerber. That, that's been that's a- great. And the whole, gold mine there is just you know to work on your business and not mm-hmm. in it so that you can actually improve it and not be stuck in the day-to-day me that's a great recommendation that's a classic yeah it is an older book but it's it's i think it's got some timeless wisdom in there sure. and then beyond that i mean i mean there's a bunch of like tools online and things like that but it really depends on what what people are need and what they're already using yeah no i, I won't i won't go into it well let's wrap it up i uh just Two quick uh, wrap-up questions of, um, and this is, I know, uh, business owners, you know, there's so much focus on the business that sometimes uh, the personal side, the health side gets ignored until things get really, uh, you know, to a point that you can't ignore. How do you, how do you recharge? When I, I think I should answer that question in two ways. When I was at the fudge business, at the fudge factory, because mm-hmm. I'm no longer involved in that on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the amount of work and actually working in a food business was much, much, uh, heavier of a burden, if you will. Mm-hmm. The, the number of hours was greater commute to the, to the location. And so recharging there was like more difficult, but also more important, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, I had, had to try to find like just carving out a day off a week was, was often challenging, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because especially in a retail when, oh, yeah. when I had to work all weekend or holiday weekends. And so, so making sure I had at least a day off in the early years mm-hmm. and then at least two days off as I got, yeah. we got more better staff and managers as mm-hmm. that alone was like critical. Yeah. And I know it sounds stupid to someone who's not in the food business or retail, but if you are in food or retail, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like make sure you get at least a day off where you don't turn off the business mm-hmm. and just stop doing Stop thinking about. It. I mean, it's impossible to stop thinking about mm-hmm. it. But but try to stop yeah. thinking. About it. Read a fun book or go outside or whatever. So that's what I tried to do then. Now, like in a consulting business, it's it's much uh, less strenuous in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm working with lots of food businesses and and helping them with their strain and helping them with their heavy lifting. But I personally like I get my weekends now. Like mm-hmm. I'm not in retail yeah. and. And I can work remotely. So like I, I will literally set up a beach umbrella and work on the beach sometimes. <laughs> and so like I, I feel like 
I, you know, it's not as critical for me to kind of recharge, mm-hmm. although I probably should take a vacation soon. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful, but that's kind of where I'm at sure. with that question. And uh, let's wrap it up with um, what's your best advice to other artisans or manufacturers that um, that are trying to build their business? Be persistent. That's great. Yeah. Keep on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, just persevere through the challenges that you're facing because there will always be challenges and dark times and you just got to keep, keep going and, and stay optimistic and, and also be, be, you know, study those numbers. Really make sure that your, your business is viable on paper because if it's not viable on paper, it, a lot harder. It's probably not viable. So. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, Noah, if um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Um, you can learn more about what I'm up to on my website, which is tasteprofit.com, or you're welcome to email me directly, Noah at tasteprofit.com. Or find me on LinkedIn. Great. Well, thank you so much, Noah, for uh, for sharing your expertise today. I'm really, um, uh, really glad to learn a little bit more about your recommendations for pricing and uh, just hear a little more about uh, the story of your family business. So thank you so much for coming on board. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stefa. Visit artisanswholesale.com for show notes with resources and links that help you work smarter, earn more, and live better.